Welcome, brothers and sisters, to 15th Avenue Baptist Church Online. I'm Pastor David Lattimore, and I'm delighted to join you in this wonderful moment of virtual worship. And thank you for inviting us into your home via your computer or your iPad or however you're connecting with us today. Listen, we're going to encounter a powerful word of God, and we are confident that God is going to bless you in this moment of shared worship. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this time of gathering here online in this encounter with God's word. I'll see you at the end of the service. God bless you. According to St. Matthew, the first gospel of the uh, King James and New Testament canon, the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and focusing on the 28th verse. We invite you, my brothers and sisters, as you find the passage of Scripture, to join us by standing and honoring the Word of God here in our midst, if you're able. If not, uh, know that you honor God with your heart, not, and not only uh, with your standing here in this place. Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 28. If the church has it, let the church say amen. Uh, here we find the words of God, and immediately Jesus, oh, no, I jumped ahead, amen. I got, it got good to me. Uh, amen. 28, there we go. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he, Jesus, said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water. To go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were on the ship came and worshipped Jesus, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. For just a few moments, my brothers and sisters, as we return to the text that we began on last Sunday, we will uh, sit in this text and hold uh, as a title how to overcome fear, how to overcome fear. Uh, you may recall if you were here with us or if you're familiar with the biblical text that this is a narrative that begins with the demonstration of divine power as embodied in Jesus walking on the water. This is one of the many miracles that are captured in multiple gospels. For the passage that we have before us describes a scene that is also attended to in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John. Each of those Gospel writers saw fit to include this passage of Scripture uh, as its effort to describe uh, this majestic Messiah and the power that he has being one with God. In fact, in the Mark's uh, uh, narrative, the walking on the water by Jesus is a part of a series of descriptions that escalate 
in the demonstrations of divine power and describe for us a Jesus that first demonstrates a power over nature and then Jesus who is divine and one with God uh, demonstrating his power over disease and finally demonstrating his power over death. And we know this is all designed to allow us to begin to see who Jesus really is and the ultimate exclamation point on his divine power becomes his resurrecting power and his rising from the dead. And so each of the gospel writers thought that it was appropriate as a part of their efforts to include the narrative of Jesus walking on the water. But what is unique is that in the Gospel of Matthew, while Matthew is certainly attentive to, divine, to demonstrating Jesus' divine power and his one with God, uh, and we know that Matthew is interested in that as well because when Jesus shows up on the scene and the fear of the disciples in the boat uh, is described, we see Matthew begin to share Jesus' response to their fear by declaring that they should be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. And the language that is translated for us, it is I, is the language of I am. And it points to God's own self-declaration that we first see at the burning bush when Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And Jesus, uh, God says, uh, tell them I am sent you. That same language of I am is present in Jesus' response to the disciples as a declaration that I am one with God and I am here. Do not be afraid. So we know that Matthew shares the other gospels writers' concerns about declaring the divine power of Jesus, but Matthew does something different. For out of all of the gospel writers, only Matthew describes Jesus' encounter with Peter and Peter's encounter with Jesus as he walks on the water. Only Matthew shares with us this moment in Peter's experience where he makes the foray out onto the waters and includes the subsequent difficulty he encounters in the midst of the sea. And the challenge with Matthew's inclusion of this episode is that it requires of us or it invites us to ask the question, Matthew, what is it that you're trying to say to us by sharing with us this moment in Peter's journey? It's the, it's the right question to ask of the text, and I think if I might allow uh, some, some privilege to uh, declare what uh, Matthew's intent was, I think Matthew not only has an intent, but like any good writer, he foreshadows his interest in his descriptions within this text. If you read the entirety of Matthew's uh, descriptions of Jesus walking on the water and Peter's entry into the water, we note that he shares similarities with the other gospel writers in how he describes the scene, but he also plants some clues in it as to what might also be of interest to him. In the gospel of Mark, when Mark is describing the context in which Jesus enters and the storm that Jesus faced, he is careful to describe for us that it is a severe storm and that the men who find themselves in this boat in the midst of the storms find themselves under distress. When you read this parable and, this, excuse me, this narrative in the Gospel of John, John is careful to describe the strong winds that are blowing and the fact that the sea has become wrought and temptuous in the midst of this moment. And Matthew certainly joins them by describing this scene using the 
language that the boat is being tossed or buffeted by the waves. And again, if you take some time to tear at the language there, you recognize that the way Matthew describes the effects of the water on the boat mirrors how he describes the condition of a paralyzed man in the 8th chapter of Matthew in the 6th verse where he suggests that the man's inability to move forward is a function of the power that has a hold on him. He seems to be suggesting that the men that we find in this boat find themselves paralyzed, buffeted, or beaten by the sea and the waves. He's sharing with us that there are contrary winds confronting and battering the ship. And what he does in this moment is extend to you and I an invitation to, to recognize that we can step into this moment as well, for there is not a one of us who've not been battered by some storms. There's not a one of us who have not experienced the difficulties of suffering in life. There's not one of us who doesn't know what it's like to have contrary winds blow upon us. And because of the way Matthew enters into this text, he is extending the invitation to read this narrative beyond that of simply the Christian church, but suggesting that anyone who's faced a storm might find some encouragement in this text because Matthew recognizes what you and I recognize, and that is storms are not limited to church folk. Storms are not the function of walking with Jesus alone, although there are some storms that are particular to the Christian life, but he seems to be opening up the floodgates to say anyone that's faced a storm, pay close attention to this text. And you and again, I both know that we constantly come across individuals and people around us that have faced storms. In fact, it could be argued, and I think rightly so, that we face storms on all levels of life. We are in the midst of of a national storm. Every time you turn on CNN, every time you turn on Fox News, every time you turn on MSNBC, you recognize that the entire conversation is consumed by the political storm of the impeachment and the presidency that governs so much of human life. We're in the midst of a storm. We're in a storm because we have senators and representatives that seem more interested in securing their place uh, uh, along the trough of federal feeding instead of affirming a set of values and a principles. And it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about one party or the other party. They both have problems, if you ask me. Uh, and we have a challenge around us, a storm that has arisen. We have a national storm because we live at a time when uh, we live in an environment that has commodified life. It only ascribes value to life uh, uh, that is commensurate with one's economic productivity and says, if you ain't making money, you ain't worth much nowadays. But if you're making money, then we put a higher value on life. And while that might might seem a natural and understandable way to exist and to understand human life because of the prevalence of this mindset. It is nonetheless a storm that we're facing because human life has value beyond economic productivity. We are in the midst of a storm, and if you're not even if you're not looking at the national landscape, you know, even within our community, we are facing storms. Even on our corner, we face storms with gentrification having taken over our community and displaced folks out of their natural uh, places of residence and community. It is a storm when we have the haves and the have-nots within the stone's throw of the church. And we sit here on the bridge between those who can afford a half a million dollar home and those who 
who don't even have a roof to put on their head. There are communal storms that you don't even have to read the Wall Street Journal to find out. We're all surrounded by storms. And if you don't have the capacity to recognize the national or the communal storms, you know there are storms in your own life. All around us, there are people, in spite of how we look on Sunday, that are struggling financially. All of us, amen, uh, either know some folk or we might be those folks that struggling from week to week just to put food on table and clothes on our back. All of us are surrounded by individuals that have had storms in their family, in their marriages, uh, in the lives of their children. All of us either recognize or fellowship with or may be the individuals that face storms in our health conditions or worries about our our future. The prevalence of storms is all around us. And Matthew is suggesting as he enters into this narrative, listen, everybody faces some storms. Ah, uh, but even though there is a universality uh, to the application of this moment of storms, Matthew seems to be doing something different. Ah, Matthew uh, joins with the other gospel writers in identifying storms and describing it in a way that all of us can place ourselves into. Uh, uh, Matthew does, like the other gospel writers, uh, uh, a great job of painting the picture of the reality of storms, the anxiety and fear that storms can produce, and the power of Jesus to speak to our fears as we exist in the storms because he's careful to note that the the first thing Jesus talks to is the fear of the men that exist in the boat. He said, listen, I know you're in the middle of the storm, and you may not recognize me, but it's Jesus. And any time I show up, fear has got to run. Ah, that's the message that we ought to be proclaiming to the world, uh, that there is no place for fear. Matthew seems to be joining the gospel writers in making that declaration, but uh, what is the difference in Matthew's story? Because Matthew seems to take the story beyond the presence of the storms and beyond the fear of the disciples uh, and to rest it firmly uh, in Peter's response to Jesus and his struggle in the midst of that response. It seems as though Matthew decided it was important for us to know not only do we go through storms, but there are some responses to storms that cut at the very nature of the fear that may hold us in its grip in the midst of the storm. And what Matthew seems to be doing is sending a message that is particular and specific to the Christian church. He seems to be saying uh, that we need to do something different in storms uh, to help the folk back on the boat. Uh, 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 Peter is one with the rest of them on the boat. Peter is in the boat with his fellow colleagues. Uh, and what it seems to be saying is even though Peter's journey is going to take on some difference, uh, he first affirms the commonality of Peter with the rest of the folk. He said, listen, Peter came from the place that everyone else was uh, to remind us uh, that Peter is one with the folk in the boat, even though his life takes a different direction. And this is a message uh, that ought not be lost on us. Uh, at least we believe that there's something special about us. Uh, 
because we've decided to take another journey. Listen, I'm grateful that God has saved you, sanctified you, and made you one uh, and on fire with the Holy Ghost, but don't you ever begin to think uh, that somehow your life is not uh, equal to or identical to our brothers and sisters that are still struggling. I know you learned how to tie your tie and sit up in church, right? I know you know all the religious language. I know you know when to stand and when to seat, sit, and I'm grateful for the transformative power of Jesus Christ, but we should never get to the point where we forget about the folk that are still on the boat uh, because there saved the grace of God go us. I wish I had one or two of y'all who didn't mind recognizing, listen, ain't nothing special about me. I ain't all that great. I've had my struggles, my ups and my downs. I'm no different than that brother who's running the streets. I'm no different than that sister that's struggling in her life. I'm not so far removed from my own danger and my own frailty that I forgot what it was like to be in the boat. But thanks be to God. The only reason I made it out the boat, good God Almighty, had nothing to do with me. He reminds us Peter was on the boat too. He reminds us that Peter is on the boat, and yet he also lifts up. Peter makes a different decision. You heard me say it on last week. What is unique about this is Peter responds to Jesus' invitation after having asked Jesus, can I get out the boat? And Jesus saying, come, Peter moves. We talked about the reason that that was important because it's faith in action. I want to take a slightly different twist on this and remind us what is so celebratory about this text is that Peter makes the decision to move from victim to participant. Uh, Peter decides uh, that I want to move from being subject to the storm and I want to move into the place where I can walk with the master who is overcoming the storm. Uh, Peter decides I'm not going to sit here on the boat and let the storm run roughshod over my life, but there is another option available to me. Uh, and the other option is I can become a participant uh, with Christ himself uh, to step out of my circumstance and walk like I've never walked before. I wish I had one or two folk who realize that this is where the text may be talking to you, uh, that you can sit around and bemoan the storms in your life. You can sit around and complain about the conditions in your community. You can complain about what's happening and what the man is doing to us. Uh, you can complain about the struggles in your family and your home, or you can make the decision uh, that I serve a God, that if I'm willing to partner with God and pursue God and walk after God, God can give me the power to overcome my, good God Almighty, I feel like preaching up in here, to overcome my storms. I don't have to be run roughshod, and the enemy doesn't have to have the victory. I can make a stand with Jesus. Too many of us are sitting around and uh, we're portraying our prayers, but they're no more than wishes. We wish things would get better, and we hope for things to turn around, and we wish things would take another pattern. The, the text seems to be saying you got to do more than just wishing. You got to do more than just hope, and you got to do more than just pray. Your prayer got to take some action, and you got to realize you can have victory, but you're going to have to partner with Christ. Ah, Peter gets out the boat, and what I like most about Peter's motion is that what Peter does is not just for Peter, but what Peter does provides an example for everybody back in the boat. You, you see all the folks sitting in the boat and they got their eyes buck wide open. Peter, what are you doing? But the minute that Peter steps out of the boat, Peter demonstrates to those who are in the boat what is possible with Jesus Christ. 
He seems to be saying, listen, uh, you don't just have to put your hope in this boat. You don't have to just trust your capacity as a fisherman. You don't have to just trust your natural instincts and the experience that you've accrued. You can also make a decision to step out of the boat just as I have and to put your trust in a living God. And maybe what Matthew is trying to prod you and I to do is to realize that we've been called to provide an example, to show folk what a living God can and will do for our lives. What does this mean for us, Pastor? It means simply this. The world does not need another sermon series. And and that's not to suggest that the sermon series doesn't have power. I'm not saying that. Uh, uh, And the world, uh, 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 it might be helped by another Bible study, but it needs something more than just another Bible study. And the world might be invited and blessed by another revival and another afternoon service. They have their place. But what I want to suggest to you is more than another proclamation from a pulpit and more than just another series of revival moments and more than just a time for us to talk about the concepts of Christian living. The world needs to see us, show them what God can do in our lives. I I, I don't mind if you don't say amen. It's the truth anyhow. The world needs to see our love in action. The world needs to see what God can do when we yield ourselves. We got to take the example out of the boat and run to them and show them here's what God can do in the midst of your storm. The world needs to see a love that can overcome personal frailties. The world needs to see a love that won't surrender and will keep running after them. The world needs to see a confidence in our life and a commitment that a living God loves us and loves them. The world needs to see an example that there is no safety in your man-made boat. But if you really want to see safety, put your trust in God. Peter gets out and he runs to Jesus. And getting out of the boat demonstrates that there is an alternative. And no matter how much the enemy may try to suggest that we don't have any options or that the options are only us taking life into our own hands, you and I both know and have been called to be living examples in your job, in your community, in your home, to those folk who are never going to breach the doors of 15th Avenue Baptist Church. We're to take the example to them and show them what's possible. Listen here, what I, what I really found intriguing about the text was not just that Peter gets out of the boat, but I found it interesting that the uh, Matthew writer suggests for us that the storm does not cease until they get back in the boat. You follow that in the text, right? It said that when Peter and Jesus stepped back into the boat, the storm ceased. What that then suggests for me is that the fact that Peter got out the boat didn't stop the storm. Uh, What it suggests for me is that Peter stepped into the environment in his pursuit of Jesus, uh, but his pursuit of Jesus did not immediately change the storm that he faced. Here's why that's relevant for us. Uh, There are some of us who don't mind following Jesus as long as the wind ain't blowing. 
There are some of us who don't mind following Jesus if following Jesus means the storm is going to stop. Uh, there are some of us who don't mind following Jesus as long as it's convenient and comfortable for us, as long as I ain't got to move off my pew, as long as I ain't got to change my pattern, as long as I can keep doing what I want to do, I don't mind following Jesus. But the text seems to be suggesting you got to be willing to walk into the midst of the storm uh, and recognize just because I'm following Jesus does not mean I won't face my storms. Uh, Peter walks into the waves and the waves are still blowing and now he does not even have the safety of the boat. He walks onto the water and the wind still blowing and now he does not even have the safety of the barrier of his shipmates or the, sh or the ship but he recognizes uh, if I'm going to pursue Jesus I'm going to have to walk into some storms. And what might, be, what might happen in our lives if we stop being afraid of the water hitting us and stop being afraid of the negative response and stop being afraid of being rejected and stop being afraid that somebody ain't going to love us the way we've been called to love them. What's going to happen when we recognize that sometimes you got to be willing to step into rough waters to pursue Jesus? Ah, what does it mean to love and not get love in return? What does it mean to show love when somebody is going to do evil unto you? What does it mean to go to places where people are not going to pat you on the back and not going to celebrate you, but you want to serve God anyway? We've got to be willing to walk into some difficult circumstances in our pursuit of Jesus. Following Jesus will place you in the midst of some storms. Following Jesus will call you from behind the barriers of safety that we have constructed around us or the artificial safeguards that we've created. Following Jesus means I got to make myself vulnerable and be exposed to danger. I've got to practice love at places that put me at risk and I've got to serve people who may not return my kindness in, as a response to my love. I've got to be willing to serve when it costs me something and puts me at risk because here's what I understand I am safer with Jesus than I am in the boat Ah, <laughs> it, it might be dangerous and it might put me at risk, uh, but I'm better off with Jesus. Uh, does anybody here understand that? That I, I don't care what the circumstances might be. I can walk uh, wherever I need to walk because as long as I have King Jesus, uh, the Bible declares, listen, I ain't going to be afraid uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because I will not fear evil. Uh, isn't it time that the church had the confidence to stand in the storm and say, I'm going to stand with Jesus rather than rest in safety. Jesus has called us to step into the storm and in the midst of the storm to recognize we are going to pursue him even if it means the relinquishment of those things that we think will keep us safe because there are some of us who have been around long enough to recognize that nothing that we've created ultimately keeps us safe anyhow. For those of you who spent a lifetime putting your retirement plan together and you've got your nest egg and you've already envisioned how your life will unfold in your final chapter, uh, some of us have been around long enough to recognize if them knuckleheads on Wall Street don't act right, uh, that little nest egg that you have will be dissipated in a matter of weeks. And those who think they are well off uh, might find themselves in the very uh, line uh, asking for help that they turn their nose up and walk past. Don't you be fooled in thinking that you can keep yourself safe for those 
those who think, well, as long as I got my guns and as long as I got my alarm and as long as I can protect myself, I can be safe. But don't you know there are some brothers and sisters out there who will take your gun out your hand and whoop your behind with your own gun. Don't you think that that little gun is going to keep you safe? Nothing but King Jesus will keep you safe. And it doesn't mean you can't be prudent and it doesn't mean that you can't do what's wise, but recognize your safety does not rest in the things that you have. It rests in the king who you trust. There is no safety outside of King Jesus. Peter steps out into the boat. He provides us a, 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 an example. Here's what the church is called to do, to step out of the comfort zone, to step into the midst of danger and tragedy and exposure and to just trust Jesus. And Peter is to be applauded for the success of his initial steps. But I would argue Peter should not just be applauded for his success. Peter should also be applauded for his failure. I don't mind celebrating the fact that Peter jumps out on the water and takes some walks for Jesus. And I can only imagine uh, if Peter were anything like me, I'd have been hollering with every step I took. Oh, my goodness, you got to be kidding me. Is this thing going to hold all my weight? Every time that he took a step, he should have got excited because it was a moment where he had an encounter with the divine problem. But the challenge that we somehow have is that we only celebrate our success and don't realize there is teaching even in our failures. I'm grateful that I learned from the fact that he gets out the boat. But you know what really excites me in this text is what happens when he fails. Because the reality is his failure is more representative of my life than his success. I haven't had many water walking moments, but I had a lot of moments where I almost sank. I haven't had many moments where my faith has been strong enough to do what God demands of me, but I've had lots of moments where I have stumbled and wavered and fallen. And I'm grateful that Matthew said, I'm not going to just celebrate the success. Let me tell you what happens when you fail. I know that might not be something that you can latch on, but that gave my heart some encouragement. I'm grateful because what I recognize is the reason Peter fails it's because he surrenders his trust because his environment has not changed. And in doing so, he reminds me so much of me. And I know I'm not by myself. When you've prayed and prayed and prayed, when you got to service early and you've been in altar call and you came to Bible study and you've touched and agreed with a few folk around uh, uh, your table or around your community, when you've asked God to move in your life, to remove a burden, to fix a problem, to create deliverance, when you've prayed, God, what can we do to change our community and how can we lift up lives? When you've lifted up your voice time and time and time again and nothing has changed. When things look as bad now as they did when I started praying and that I'm still stuck in the same situation. I know what Peter feels like when he stepped out on the water and the wind kept blowing and the waves kept crashing and he wondered to himself, is my environment going to win over my faith? What do you do when nothing's changed? And the Bible declares to us what happens is that Peter allows his fear to reassert itself. Ah, and in the process of doing that, his fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The minute he takes his eyes on Jesus, 
and begins to consider the water and the waves. The water says, thank you, I can exert my power now. Uh, for a second there, as long as you were looking for Jesus, uh, my ability to do what I wanted to do uh, was frustrated. The minute uh, that you took your eyes off of Jesus, uh, the natural consequences and forces uh, begin to work. As long as you're watching, or as long as you're watching Jesus, these things were held at bay. But the minute you took your eyes off of Jesus, now I can reassert myself. And I wonder how many of you today is God saying, listen, keep your eyes on me because the minute you start looking to yourself or the minute you start looking to your history or the minute you start looking to your friends or the minute you start looking to your job or the minute you start looking to your bank account or the minute you start looking to the government or the minute you waiting on somebody else to come and fix the problem or the minute you begin to wonder when is somebody going to lift themselves up. You're missing the point. Your answer lies in me, but you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. And the minute he stops looking at Jesus, he begins to sink. And I know how Peter feels, and I know you know how Peter feels. It's easy to get overwhelmed, even when you're trying to live right. Uh, it's easy to take your eyes off of Jesus, even when you're trying to live right. All of you uh, fire baptized and tongue talking folk, I know you love the Lord and you keep your eyes on God, but isn't it true that sometimes it gets difficult to keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of all of the mess that's circling around us? Uh, but the lesson seems to be uh, not only keep your eyes on Jesus, but the lesson also seems to be that Jesus will still rescue you when I fall. Oh, I, I don't know about you. Maybe that's not a place to celebrate. Maybe that doesn't mean to you. But, I, but I'm so grateful that Matthew included this in this text. I'm so grateful that he didn't leave this moment out. I'm so grateful that he didn't lead me to believe that my victory only comes when I'm successful in my pursuit of Jesus. I'm grateful that he didn't lead me to believe that the power of Jesus is only present when I have done everything right. I'm glad that he included this text to remind me that, listen, even in the midst of pursuing Jesus, you might get overwhelmed by your circumstance. Even though you set your heart to follow Jesus, you might waver from time to time. Even though you're praying and even though you're at church, human weakness will rear his ugly head. But here's what you need to know. The master will never leave you or forsake you. And I wish I had one or two of y'all that meant mine celebrating. I'm so glad that God won't leave us even when we stumble and fall. Even though you're sinking. Uh, even though your circumstance uh, looks like it's going to overcome you, uh, isn't it good to know uh, that I can still lift my voice up uh, and cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Good God Almighty, and ain't that the message uh, that we need to tell a dying world uh, that God doesn't just help you if you're perfect. Uh, God don't just help you if you get everything right. Uh, God don't just help you if you're without fear. Uh, but we serve a God that loves us so much uh, that even in our weakness, uh, he will magnify his strength. But you got to say, Lord, save me. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Uh, it, it seems to suggest uh, that if Peter had allowed his fear to keep his mouth shut, uh, then things might have turned out differently. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants to lead you to believe. Don't you let nobody tell, know what your testimony is. Don't you let nobody know what you've been through. Don't you let nobody know what you're going through. Keep your mouth shut and keep looking like you got everything together. But all the while, you're drowning in your own troubles. Uh, what God wants you to know, hey, listen, you better open up your mouth. Uh, you better say something. 
something. You better call out to a God whose ear is attuned to, you, attuned to your cry. You need to know God loves you enough to even rescue you in your weakness. Ah, I think that's why Matthew included the story. Not to leave us with the picture that it's only success that gets rewarded, but to remind us that even in our frailties, God is still present to rescue us. And in fact, to remind us, this is the good news we take to the world. That no matter what difficulties you've been through, God is always there to pull you out of the storm. The Bible says the minute he hollered, God reached down and grabbed him and put his feet on solid ground. Can you imagine the relief that Peter felt when Jesus rescued him? And the relief would have been present even though the storm is still raging. Because remember, the storm does not subside till they get back to the boat. It's almost as though God is saying, hey, listen, I'll rescue you and leave you right where you are. I ain't got to give you a new address to bless you. I ain't got to drop a bag of money off to bless you. I ain't got to give you a new job to bless you. I ain't got to change your circumstance to bless you. Let me teach you what blessing really is. Blessing is wherever Jesus is present with me, I can be content. Wherever Jesus shows up, I can lift up my head, put a smile on my face, and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't care how ugly folk gonna act. I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times. I don't care if my relatives don't wanna see me. I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times. Even while I'm struggling from week to week, I am going to bless God because as long as God is with me, God can take care of us. He, he picks Peter up, storm still raging, as they walk back to the boat to remind Peter, all you really need is me. And if God is on your side, you can make it through. Well, you know the rest of the story. They make it to the boat and everybody starts shouting because that's how it is. Folks shout when the victory show up. Amen. The same jokers that was talking about him when he got out the boat. Because you know they was whispering, I don't know what this crazy boy is doing. How did, what is he thinking jumping out the boat and going after Jesus? You know they talked about him. They, they talked about Jesus. They talked about Peter. You better believe they're going to talk about you. But you don't have to worry about what folk are saying about you. Because the minute God shows up in your life, the same folk that was talking about you, good God Almighty, the Bible says they began to worship him gets back to the boat, everybody starts shouting, they have some church on the boat because Jesus has demonstrated itself. But the key is God has called you and I to step out the boat, to face our fears, and to watch God use us to be an example to others. Maybe you're here under the sound of my boat, my voice, not my boat, amen. Maybe you're stuck in the boat. Maybe you think the things that you've created for your life will keep you safe. I'm here to let you know that you are mistaken. And some of us have lived long enough to watch what we thought would keep us safe, what we thought would never change, what we thought would be here forever to be changed. The only thing that you can put your trust in that counts is Jesus. And if you're here under the sound of my voice and you've not put your trust in Jesus, I beg you today, won't you come? Well, brothers and sisters, that concludes our time of worship today. But I know that the word of God has met you in this place along with the presence of God. And my prayer is that in the days that come, you will live with power, victory, and might 
as God makes himself real in your life. Listen, while you're on our website, continue to enjoy the many resources that are here to empower and strengthen you. Join us for our weekly devotion. Join us for our virtual Bible study. And most importantly, sign up for the email blast so that you can remain fully informed of all that's happening here at 15th Avenue Baptist Church. Most importantly, I want you to take a second to consider making uh, an offering or a donation here to 15th Avenue Baptist Church. At the top of your screen, there's an online giving button. And certainly, take a moment to plant a good seed in good soil. Listen, until we gather together, whether virtually or in, in real life, uh, we invite you to consider all that God has for you to live with victory. And we can't wait to be with you again soon. Take care, and may God bless you.